Hi, good day and welcome to About Patterson, a podcast about the past, present, and future of our hometown, Patterson, New Jersey. As all Pattersonians know, Patterson was founded by our first Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, in 1791. Hamilton's vision for Patterson was as America's first planned industrial city, but even Hamilton couldn't have seen what Patterson would become. Patterson led the Industrial Revolution where Sam Colt manufactured his first revolvers, John Ryle manufactured America's first silk, Thomas Rogers built the first American locomotives, and John Holland tested the world's first modern submarine. But Patterson isn't just about the Industrial Revolution, it's about us, the people of Patterson. It's about our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents who came to America and settled in Patterson for a better life. We all know Patterson today isn't the Patterson we grew up in, but something is happening that no one saw coming. After decades of decline, a miracle happened. Two Pattersonians, former Mayor Bill Pascrell in the House of Representatives and Frank Lautenberg in the United States Senate, passed a bill that was signed by President Barack Obama, making our Great Falls District a national park, and in my view, changed Patterson's future for the better. This is a podcast about Patterson, the historic Patterson we learned about, the Patterson we grew up in, and the Patterson that, in my opinion, is emerging from the ashes. So thanks so much for joining me today. Welcome to About Patterson, and thanks for joining me today. Today's podcast is about the famous train engineer, Casey Jones. Now, I'm sure some of you will be asking... Why would he do Casey Jones, and what does this have to do with Patterson? Well, I'm confident my fellow Pattersonians will make the connection. Of course, it's because old Casey, on the day of his fatal crash, was driving a Rogers locomotive known as the Cannonball Express. The Cannonball Express was built by Rogers Locomotive Works in 1898 for the Illinois Central Railroad. The engine was a 10-wheeler, and was a very fast engine, state-of-the-art at the time. Now, it was 123 years ago that Casey Jones died running the Cannonball Express between Durant, Mississippi, and Canton. It's highly probable that Casey Jones would have been long forgotten if not for a TV show of the 1950s. It was named Casey Jones, and every episode started with a song, The Ballad of Casey Jones. That ballad originally came from a poem created by a friend of Casey immediately after his death. It went like this. Come all you rounders if you want to hear the story about a brave engineer. Casey Jones was the roller's name on a 6'8 wheeler course he won his fame. Caller called Casey about half past four. He kissed his wife at the station door. He climbed in the cabin with his orders in his hand said this is a trip to the promised land. That TV show and that song made Casey a boyhood hero for children of the 1950s. I was one of those boys. One of the things I like doing is research. And some years ago, I decided to research the story of Casey. I wrote a short article sort of as an exercise to see if I could tell a story. So here's the story I wrote of Casey Jones and one of Rogers Locomotive's most famous engines, the Cannonball Express. On Monday morning, April 30, 1900, shortly before 4 a.m., famed engineer Casey Jones 
engineer of the Cannonball Express, died when his train slammed into the caboose of a freight train about one mile north of Vaughan, Mississippi. The crash was so loud the residents of Vaughan were shocked awake. Several passengers had relatively minor injuries, and the collision produced only one fatality, John Luther Casey Jones. The newspaper headlines of the day heralded Jones as an American hero who saved countless lives by staying in his cab right up until the moment of impact. In the years following his dramatic death, Jones would be immortalized in print, in plays, and even movies and TV shows. But the thing that would make Casey Jones famous so many years after his death came from a poem written by his railroad friend, Wallace Saunders, The Ballad of Casey Jones. Jonathan Luther Jones was born in southeastern Missouri on March 14, 1863 to Frank and Ann Nolan Jones. When Jonathan was in his early teens, the family moved across the Mississippi River to Casey, Kentucky. Casey was a small town in the southeast corner of the state with a train station, telegraph office, and a water tank to serve steam engines. Jonathan would spend as much of his time as possible watching the trains while dreaming about becoming an engineer. In 1878, when he was just 15 years old, Jonathan joined the Mobile and Ohio Railroad in Columbus, Kentucky as a telegrapher. Every chance Jonathan had, he would wander the rail yards, examining and admiring the engines and asking questions. When the railroaders learned he was from Casey, Kentucky, they gave him the name Casey Jones. In a couple of years, the railroad promoted Jones to a brakeman on the Columbus to Jackson, Tennessee run. Jackson, Tennessee was where the m Railroad intersected with the Illinois Central Railroad and an ideal place for the future engineer to be located. Jones rented a room in a local boarding house. The boarding house was owned by Charles and Ann Brady. The Brady's 20-year-old daughter, Mary Joanna Janie Brady, helped her parents run the boarding house, and it wasn't too long before Casey and Janie were courting. As a Catholic family, Janie's parents forbid their daughter's marriage unless Casey converted to Catholicism. Casey agreed, and the two married on November 25th, 1886 at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Jackson. Shortly after the marriage, the ambitious Casey received another promotion to fireman, and his career with the railroad seemed solid. Casey and Janie purchased a small house at 211 Westchester Street, Jackson. Three children soon followed, Charles Brady in 1888, Helen in 1890, and John Lloyd in 1896. In 1888, Casey began working at the Illinois Central Railroad. After more than a decade of following the traditional path of brakeman to fireman to engineer, Casey Jones reached his lifelong dream of becoming an engineer on February 23, 1891. His run would be from Jackson, Tennessee to Water Valley, Mississippi, where the ICRR had their terminal and roundhouse. It was about this time that Casey became famous for his train whistle. A friend made the whistle especially for him. The railroad purchased standard whistles with one long tube that produced a single sound. Casey's whistle included six thin tubes 
and Casey would devise a technique where the sound began softly, then built in intensity, before dying away to a whisper. Many described it as a haunting sound, ethereal sound, of the whippoorwill. While passing through small towns and hamlets, Casey would blow the whistle and the people in the countryside would say, there goes Casey Jones. The railroad assigned engine number 384 uh, to Casey. Number 384 was a steam engine Rogers locomotive manufactured in Patterson, New Jersey. Number 384 was a 10-wheeler. The engine's wheel arrangement identified engine 384 as a 460 with four leading wheels followed by six powered driving wheels, each approximately six feet tall, and no trailing wheels, a very powerful engine at the time. On Sunday, April 29, 1900, about 10 p.m., at the end of a long day, Casey and his fireman, Simeon Sim Webb, pulled into the Memphis station. The two men were tired and looking forward to getting home after a long day's work. When Casey learned a fellow engineer was ill and didn't arrive for work, Casey volunteered to take his run, and Sim agreed to be his fireman. As fog rolled in and rain fell, Casey and Sim switched engines to another Rogers locomotive, number 382, a.k.a. the Cannonball Express. The Express was a light train with only six passenger cars that ran the 188-mile route from Memphis to Canton, Mississippi. The route had dozens of deadly curves, and just five months earlier, engineer Dave Dowling and his fireman Jack Barnett were killed when their locomotive turned over in Senatobia, Mississippi, while taking a turn too fast. The cannonball pulled out of Memphis at 12.50 a.m., 75 minutes behind schedule, but Casey was sure that with Sim as his fireman and a light train of just six cars, He would make up the 75 minutes and arrive in Canton on time. Casey took great pride in his train arriving on time. Get there on the advertised, as Casey often said. According to Sim Wedd, Casey reached speeds of 90 miles per hour and may have broken the 100 mph mark on the the run that night. The first leg of the run was 100 miles from Memphis to Granada, Mississippi. Casey ran the Cannonball Express at high speeds, racing to their first water stop in Sardis, and by the time the Express arrived at the second stop in Grenada, Casey had made up 55 of the 75 minutes. The second leg of the route was from Canada, from Grenada to Winona, 25 miles. Once again, Sim kept the fire going, and Casey had the Express at speeds of at least 90 miles per hour. They made up another 15 minutes when the Express pulled into the Durant station almost on time. Casey said to his fireman, Sim, the old girl's got her dancing slippers on tonight. At Durant, Casey received orders to pull the Express onto the siding at Goodman, Mississippi to allow another passenger train to pass before continuing to Canton. Casey was also advised that there would be a train in the siding at Vaughan, This would give Casey and the Cannonball Express priority. Casey pulled out of Goodman only five minutes behind schedule. With only 27 miles left, Casey was sure he would arrive in Canton by 4.15, getting the passengers there on the advertised. 
But first they had to pass through Vaughn. What Casey and Sim didn't know was that there was more than one train at the station in Vaughn. There were three, and one of them was blocking the main line. The rolling hills of rural Yazoo County created a picturesque scene as the Illinois Central Railroad wound its way into Vaughn, Mississippi. In 1900, Vaughn was a busy little town of about 100 people who were mostly tenant farm workers. The sleepy town included a general store, a post office, a cotton gin, a grist mill, a blacksmith shop, a stagecoach stable, and a drugstore. This was a time when men carried pocket knives for whittling and playing checkers at the general store to pass the time. Years later, Sim Webb described their approach to Vaughn. Casey was in good humor and talked and joked the whole trip, Webb said. The approach to Vaughn is an S-curve, first to the right and then to the left. We were running at a fairly high rate of speed as we entered the curve, and from the right side of the cab, Casey couldn't see the track. I was putting in the fire and climbed up to look out the left side window, and as we swung out onto the curve, I could see the red light markers of a train on the main line and yelled, My Lord, Casey, there's something on the main line. Casey jumped to his feet, looked diagonally across the top of the boiler, while at the same time set the emergency air brakes in the emergency stop. Casey knew he couldn't stop on time and yelled back, Jump, Sim, jumped. They were about 300 yards from impact. Sim Webb said, I ran across the cab, grabbed the handrail, and lowered myself as close to the ground as possible and let go. The last thing I heard as I jumped was Casey held down the whistle in a long, piercing scream. I think it must, he must have had in mind to warn the freight conductor in the caboose so he could jump. I jumped and was knocked unconscious for about 30 minutes. When I came to and was able to talk, I asked about the engineer and was told that Casey was killed. The entire town of Vaughan was awakened by the collision. Newspaper reports stated that the Cannonball Express was running under a full head of steam somewhere close to 100 miles per hour as it rounded the bend approaching the station. Passengers reported... The train was slowing down and was going maybe 50 miles per hour before striking the caboose. The caboose exploded into splinters as the express plowed through the carload of hay, then a carload of corn, before plowing halfway across a carload of lumber. Old 382 left the track, rolled onto her side, and slid for about 200 feet before plowing into the embankment where the locomotive lay silent in the darkness. In a matter of minutes, townspeople began arriving to help injured passengers. Among the townspeople was Uncle William Madison. Sim Webb had injuries to the head and shoulders. Express messenger A.J. Miller was badly injured about the back and shoulders, and several other passengers sustained minor injuries. There was only one fatality. Uncle William Madison found Casey Jones lying directly under his cab. Witnesses said when Jones' body was removed, he had the whistle cord clutched in one hand and the air brake lever in the other. His watch had stopped at 3.52 a.m. There has been much speculation surrounding Casey Jones' cause of death, but Madison helped several men carry Jones' body from the wreck 
to the depot where they laid his body on a baggage wagon. Madison reported that Casey Jones had a splinter of wood through his head, and Casey took his last breath while he was lying on that baggage wagon. A few hours later, a train arrived on the outskirts of town, and Casey's body was placed in the baggage car and taken to a funeral home in Canton, Mississippi, where it was held at the funeral home. Hundreds of people came by to view the body of the famous engineer. In the morning, the headlines from Casey's home tape, hometown newspaper read, Engineer Casey Jones of Jackson, Tennessee, killed near Canton, Mississippi. On Tuesday morning, the townspeople loaded Casey's coffin onto the train and he made the long, slow trip home to Jackson. On Wednesday morning, Casey's body arrived in Jackson and lay in St. Mary's Church, the same church he and Janie Brady were married in 14 years before. Janie and her children, Charles, Lloyd, and Helen, stood in the church. Newspaper accounts reported 15 railroad men from Water Valley took the day off of work to pay their last respects. After a brief service, Casey was taken to Mount Calvary Cemetery, where he was laid to rest with a small cross placed on his grave. Forty-seven years later, several railroad men raised the funds for a larger, more appropriate monument. The ceremony was attended by Casey's widow, two of his sons, and Casey's fireman, Simeon Webb. The new stone was dedicated by Casey's granddaughter. The stone reads, John Luther Jones, 1864-1900, to the memory of the locomotive engineer whose name is Casey Jones, became a part of folklore and the American language. Casey, Casey said, for I am going to run her till she leaves the rail or make it on time with the southbound mail. This memorial was erected in 1947 to perpetuate the legend of the American railroading and a man whose name became the symbol of daring and romance, Casey Jones. Janie Brady Jones never remarried and for the rest of her life dressed in black. Janie lived to the ripe old age of 92. There's a newspaper photo that is reported to be the last picture taken of Janie Brady Jones. She died November 21, 1958, and was buried next to her husband. Casey Jones and Simeon Webb climbed into the, Reb, into the cab of the Cannonball Express and rode into history. ICSR, ICRR sent an investigator to the wreck within hours. The report claimed the accident was Casey's fault because he failed to answer a flagman who was out, to, out the proper distance. However, according to other, the other man who was in the cab of the Cannonball Express that night, Simeon Webb, Webb said, We had no orders against this train or any other except the number two which we had already passed. Our clearance right gave us rights over everything, and we didn't have to look out for anybody. Without any warning, we plowed into that caboose. If a train is blocking the main line, the railroad rules state that a flagman must go out 10 telegraph poles from the this, from this, from this site and place two torpedoes. He must put out a fusee. There was no flagman and no flags. Thanks for joining me today. This was a fun exercise for me, but still a great story for those of us who remember the TV show. All of us knew the song by heart and knew who Casey Jones was. Thanks so much. Have a great week.